Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, it was the work and passion of civil rights legend Hosea Williams to help those in need. Formed in 1971 and started as Hosea Feed the Hungry and Homeless, this organization has been providing much-needed services for Atlanta's poorest communities. And the organization itself has been has had its ups and downs, but continued through recessions, inflations, and a pandemic. Now called Hosea Helps, the organization wants to expand, possibly by with a two million dollar with two million dollars in funding. So a little bit later, we'll talk to Elizabeth and Ofemo Omalami to talk about the expansion plans as well as their journey together through it all. And in just a moment, we'll get an update regarding the latest developments involving the two prominent rappers, Young Thug and Gunna, and their recent indictments, along with others, alleging criminal activities related to the YSL gang, that and more. But first this, let the runoff debates begin. Today, that is. The Atlanta Press Club Louder McYoung Debate Series is hosting primary election runoff debates for the Democratic candidates. Now we're talking about Secretary of State, Lieutenant Governor, Insurance Commissioner, and Labor Commissioner. Now, some candidates didn't show up, so they will be represented by an empty podium. That's always fun. On the Republican side, debates are taking place for the 2nd, 6th, and 10th U.S. Congressional District. Speaking of the 6th Congressional District, that race is between Jake Evans and Dr. Rich McCormick. Now, earlier today during the debate, the two candidates were asked about supporting a bipartisan compromise regarding stronger gun control legislation. Candidate Rich McCormick, in part, offered this. Uh, I understand that there's a mental health crisis right now in America, but I will say that Taking guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens has never been the solution. Biden and Pelosi keep on saying that they're going to make all kinds of laws and continue to take away weapons from those people, but that has not been the solution. As a matter of fact, during Biden and Pelosi's administration, you've seen an increase in gun violence and crime. And within his answer, Jake Evans offered this. Incrementalism is something we have to be very suspect and suspicious of, gradually eroding away our constitutional rights, including the Second Amendment, is something that I won't stand for. I will fight aggressively and unapologetically for our Second Amendment. I'm in favor of having safe communities, and I believe we have safe communities by supporting our law enforcement. Debates are available to watch live on the Atlanta Press Club's Facebook page, and also you can watch them after they've aired live, and you don't need a Facebook account for viewing, so that's pretty cool. In other news, a vote whether to unionize at a Northwest Atlanta Starbucks is set to come down within this hour. We hear Lily Oppenheimer reports the results were delayed in May because of slow mail. A lead barista organizing at the store on Howell Mill Road tells WABE ballots needed more time to arrive at the National Labor Relations Board headquarters in Washington. The NLRB is overseeing the election today through Zoom. Starbucks tells WABE in a statement it's listening and learning from employees and goes on to say management believes they work better without a union. This would be one of the first Georgia Starbucks to unionize. The union campaign Starbucks Workers United says that as of May 27th, 100 stores nationwide have successfully unionized. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. In other news, leaders among Georgia's Cherokee people are helping those in the community get registered to vote, find education programs, and learn more about their rights. As we hear from Emily Wu Pearson, she has more from an informational and celebratory weekend event, the first in the community since the pandemic. Cherokee musician Tony Wildcat lifted a wooden flute to his lips and played three songs he wrote to a crowd of Cherokee people gathered at a Marietta Park. The Georgia Cherokee Community Alliance event brought people from around the Southeast who got to meet their tribe's representatives and Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. face to face. 
Everyone here today has a connection to a people that dates back from time immemorial. We've seen the struggles, the triumphs, the tragedies, and now I think we're in a period of such great progress that it's, it's certainly something to celebrate. Hoskins says there are about 2,000 Cherokee people living in Georgia, a state where Cherokee people originally lived before the government expelled them. This is the biggest event in Georgia they've had, and he credits the turnout to online community building the Cherokee Nation accomplished during the pandemic. That included language and educational resources, and people like Christine Hartman Durr took advantage of those resources. She and her family drove from Knoxville for the meeting. Durr grew up in Oklahoma and wants to make sure her kids know Cherokee stories and are proud of their heritage. Our ancestors worked so hard to keep it, and they walked so far for us. While at the meeting, Durr registered to vote in Cherokee elections and got to meet other families like hers. She said being in community again after the isolation of COVID-19 filled her heart. Emily Wu Pearson, WABE News. And finally, top officials from Belgium are in Atlanta this week on a mission to strengthen economic ties between the two countries. As Emile Moffat reports, the group plans to tour several Belgian-owned businesses today. While it's not currently one of the state's top international trading partners, there are more than 60 Belgian-owned companies in Georgia, one of that country's largest footprints in the U.S., Belgium's Council General in Atlanta, Michel Jaretsov, says between fintech, logistics, biosciences, and the entertainment industry, there is a lot of room for expansion in the state. This sector, cultural industries, movie, e-gaming, music, uh, is, is one of the sectors that I'm expecting will witness the highest growth in the, in the future. While in Atlanta, officials are also taking part in a diversity and inclusion event at the Center for Civil and Human Rights and meeting with Governor Brian Kemp and the state's economic development staff. Emil Moffat, WABE News. And coming up in just a moment, we'll check in with George Cheedy, the investigative journalist and publisher of the Atlanta Objective on his on Substack. And we'll get an update regarding the indictments with Young Thug and Gunner. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. From WABE. In Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. As you know, and a lot of folks are covering this case, and still of us, and that includes us, the two prominent rappers, Young Thug and Gunna, indicted along with 26 others believed to be members of the YSL organization. Well, Young Thug and Gunna were recently denied bond. Now, the main reason, according to prosecutors, concerns about witness tampering and some other things. There have been other developments since Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, along with then-Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant and Fulton County Sheriff Patrick Labatt, held a press conference regarding the arrest of Young Thug and others. Now, D.A. Willis says Young Thug, whose name is Jeffrey Williams, heads YSL. If you look at the indictment, the crimes that are alleged within it go all the way back from 2012 to 2022. Um, I wouldn't say that it contains every act of crime that YSL committed. Uh, it is a significant gang that operates here in Atlanta, Georgia, and not every member became um, a defendant within this indictment, but certainly an ex significant amount did, and certainly some of the leadership, which is what's most important. Um, we're not going to just target the children that are running out at the direction of leaders and not target leaders. This has become an international story. Joining the program again is George Cheedy, an investigative journalist and publisher of the Atlanta Objective on Substack. He's been covering not only YSL, but other Atlanta street gangs and the neighborhoods they reside in. George, welcome back to the program. We appreciate you taking the time. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Let's just recap for listeners not familiar. Jeffrey Williams, who professionally goes by Young Thug, was indicted on what charges here, George? So, uh, young Thug uh, faces uh, just a couple of uh, charges in, in a 
50, 53 count, 55 count indictment. Mm-hmm. Um, he is specifically charged with being the leader of uh, a street gang called YSL or Young Slime Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in the, in the process of being the leader of this street gang, he's facilitated other crimes, including a murder. Mm-hmm. And this goes back, George, again, for our listeners not familiar, the indictment alleges some activity going back to 2012. Right. Um, the uh, like the prosecutor says that the street gang was formed way back in 2012 and that it's an outgrowth of a, uh, a an older street gang called Raised on Cleveland. And that's a reference to Cleveland Avenue, which mm-hmm. is in southeast Atlanta. Um, rough neighborhood. Um, the, uh, um, the, the big thing is that the prosecutors have charged him or believe him to have, uh, rented a car that was used in a drive-by shooting that, uh, killed a prominent street gang member, uh, Donovan Thomas, who Mm -hmm. went by peanut. Um, and that that murder set off a gang war in Atlanta that may have claimed as many as 50 other lives. And Gunna, whose real name is Sergio Giovanni Kitchens, was hit, correct me if I'm wrong, with one RICO charge, correct? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, he's, there, there are, there are more than, there's more than one, one charge there for... No, there is. I'm sorry, you're right. Yes, there's one charge. Like, and that's being, essentially being a member of the gang. Like, mm-hmm. the, that, that charge carries five to ten years, uh, but it's... I have to say, like, in, as I'm looking at these 28 people who are charged with crimes, mm-hmm. uh, he's not linked to violence. Um, a lot of what I'm looking at is him being either in the presence of guns and drugs mm-hmm. or, or or something more than that. But nothing like the more serious charges that other people are, are facing. And that for a lot of people, obviously on social media and there have been a lot of articles written that they've. And we'll get to that in a moment, but feel that that's really odd. Then with just that one charge, he was denied bond. But but let's go back now for a moment. Where Young Thug is being held, where and where is Gunna being held? Because they're not in the same location. No, I'm I'm pretty sure Gunna is in the Fulton County Jail. That's Rice Street. Mm-hmm. While uh, Young Thug Jeffrey Williams is in Cobb County, and there had been some question about whether or not he was being held in. Uh, reasonable conditions mm-hmm. uh the uh he's uh claimed that he's being uh you know like constantly uh, observed that the lights are always on um it appears to be fairly standard normal like Cobb County is just not a jail that you want to be in frankly um the uh, uh the interesting thing that came out last week during the bond hearing is that he appears to be in a state of uh, drug withdrawal. And he was complaining about that in a, in a jail call that was intercepted by police. Having having the, the conditions that you say come with when you are basically going cold turkey or withdrawing from the use of drugs or other syrup or whatever they, they claim that they allege that these guys have been been using is that what you're saying because that's that's out that's there it. but we don't know if it's true i mean unfortunately so, the media doesn't clear. always get it right let me just be clear about that so no, heck, i have made mistakes myself right. um the uh however like the police have charged him with possession of like 20 bottles of promethazine codeine syrup when he was uh, arrested at his house um there was also you know a couple of kilograms of weed mm-hmm. um the uh it's it's not clear what he's trying having to detox from right now sure um george let's go back then to the the testimony in in the hearing regarding young thug and efforts to get a bond we have a clip here this is record label owner kevin lyles and also he's answering questions from defense attorney brian Steele. there's been testimony that if this trial and i'm not saying the court will allow it but if Mm -hmm. it doesn't take place for a year, there'd be over a million dollars in expenses just for um, 24-hour security of police officers to ensure, off-duty police officers, second jobs to ensure Mr. Williams um, does not flee, does not get um, types of weapons, does not intimidate a witness, 
not a danger to community or property in the community. Can he afford, in your, from your personal knowledge and how much money he earns, can he afford that type of undertaking? Uh, Jeffrey can afford it, and I can afford it, so it will be paid for. And you are willing to back him as well? I'm willing to back him personally and professionally. And George, again, that was not quite enough for the judge in this case. What have been some of the concerns with granting bond, especially for young thug here? So one of the prosecutor's arguments, I, you know, really listening to this, is that there shouldn't be a, a two-tier standard for freedom when we're looking at bond. The fact that you've got a million dollars you can spend mm-hmm. should not privilege you in a way that an indigent defendant would be facing jail. Um, the question is whether or not uh, – like all of the other factors, the reasons that you're supposed to keep somebody in jail, if you're going to keep somebody in jail before a trial, and that's, are you a flight risk? Mm -hmm. Are you a danger to the community? Are you likely to um, intimidate or threaten a witness or destroy evidence? So one of the things that prosecutors said is that someone, and they didn't, they didn't say who, Mm -hmm. someone uh, within the jail got their hands on a contraband cell phone and called somebody outside the jail and said, hey, we've got this cache of burner cell phones and you need to go and destroy them. The The police overheard that call uh, and they got to those cell phones first. And so the argument of the prosecutors is, look, they're trying to intimidate witnesses and destroy evidence. Um, and as long as that's taking place, you know, there's a there's a risk to the prosecution. So oh. then they shouldn't be, be let, let out. And let's be clear, George. According to authorities, are they saying then that was Young Thug on the end of this cell phone saying, let's get rid of these burner phones? Or was it somebody else? That was so it's in- not clear who it is. Hmm. Like they have not said who, who that was. They initially identified one person and then came back and recanted and said it was another person. But they didn't say who. Now, um which is kind of a clever, I got to tell you, like, it's, it's, frankly, it's a little dirty, in my opinion. Like, it's either, like, if it's a, if it's an individual, you should say who. Did you ask the authorities? Like, I mean, you've been following this. I have. I, I have. I have. I have inquiries out to the district attorney's office for them to clarify which of the, uh, the defendants apparently did this. Um, and they have, they have yet to respond Kevin Lyles also told the court that his artist, Young Thug in his case, is a good person. I've been in this music called hip hop for 38 years. And for the life of me, I don't understand why I have to testify um, the good that hip hop has done around the world. Um, I've also started a company with Jeffrey called Young Stoner Life. And I remember what he said to me, we're not just starting a company, we're going to change some lives. And that's what he's done. And he's definitely changed mine. And George, again, this still was not enough. And this is Kevin Lyles is very prominent. I mean, well known, not just within hip hop, but within the music industry who comes in and testifies. He was tearful, but not enough. No. Um, and I think you like I'm, I'm not making an argument in favor or against bail, like, but I'm contemplating what uh, a judge must have had in his head as they were uh, as they were looking at some of this stuff. Because there's there's a lot of other material floating around around this case that uh, frankly wasn't at that bail hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, an 18 year old who's the cousin of one of the defendants made a series of very pointed threats Mm -hmm. on social media um, saying, basically, I'm going to kill the sheriff. I'm going to kill the sheriff's wife. I'm going to kill the uh, uh, head of the Atlanta public schools um, police force unless, you know, thug is released. Mm -hmm. Um, The the other thing is that one of the prosecutors had mentioned that the mother of one of the defendants, uh, and again, we don't know who, um, is ready to start talking about how some of uh, Young Thug's charitable actions were effectively cover 
to recruit new gang members. At least that's that's in the proffer uh, that the that the the prosecutor said that they would be able to present. Um, the uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm waiting for the trial. Like I don't think we're going to get it all of this year in a bond hearing. Um, the question is whether or not any of the stuff that we're talking about is enough to say this person is a risk to the community or this person is uh, a threat to a witness. And also we should note too, that there are, there are so many other folks listed in this indictment, but the trial for at least, at least we know what young thug and Gunner is not scheduled to start till next year. No. So I think people are going to be sitting in jail for six months. Um, the, like what's clear from that bond hearing is how the defense is going to portray this case. Um, and we start, we gotta, we gotta look at it. And essentially they are saying that by arresting these 28 people, Fannie Willis is putting a wrap on trial that Atlanta hip hop is, is in the dock. Um, and that what this is, is an attack on a part of Atlanta's economy and industry um, designed to uh, placate voters who are afraid of rising crime. Well, and, and I've um, heard that, too. And, and I'll ask you this and again, because you're covering this. But have you had conversations with folks in terms of. It's not you can't just go by some of these folks lyrics. I mean, listen, whether it's hip hop, rap, country, you know, metal Artists come up with stuff. They say stuff. Can you use that against them in in a court proceeding? I think the question is whether or not there's a trail of dead bodies that leads to somebody's studio. Um, the uh, Whatever else is going on, I mean, people who are associated with young slime life, the gang, um, are dead. Uh, that there's, I mean, it's not, it's not arbitrary in that sense. It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing to interpret when there's a dead body, except somebody like there's somebody has been murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then honest to goodness, that's not happening uh, willy nilly, you know, in the rock scene. Um, the uh, there's no, and certainly there's no um, commercial incentive for rockers to go kill people. And then, make music about it uh not that i'm saying that that's what happened well, here i was gonna ask you are you saying there's, a, there's an incentive i mean look we we're we're we grew up with hip-hop i mean i also grew up yeah. with jazz but and we and i understand the dynamics of it before y'all start emailing me we understand the optics around it i get it but when you talk about that there is a lot of violence in surrounded around rap artists not just hip-hop because i understand folks Hip hop and rap, rap is a part of hip hop. Okay, there's there's a hip hop and then there's a lot of stuff under it. Okay, so don't think that every hip hop artist is out there involved in something allegedly in something criminal. So you're talking about here, George. Then do and I want to be clear from what you've read and what you've been covering beyond just the lyrics. Is there enough, at least through the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, that they feel can connect some of these alleged activities based on the lyrics? And based on social so, media post? So here's the thing. I don't think, I think if Fannie Willis decided not to use any lyrics from any songs in the prosecution moving forward, she would have just about the same likelihood of, of, of obtaining a conviction as otherwise. Um, and I'll, I'll, honestly, that may raise the question about, you know, why bother? Except that um, she's trying to show that the separation between like the business side of mm-hmm. these folks' activities and their criminal side isn't all that strong. Um, the, uh, for example, like there's in in the bond hearing, uh, Don Gary, who's a prosecutor, brought up lyrics from a song where Young Thug was talking about how he shot at someone's mother right. and now the other guy doesn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. As it happens, the main rival of Young Thug and YSL has been another street gang in Atlanta called YFN. Mm-hmm. And the leader of YFN, YFN Lucci, who's in jail on a murder charge right now, his mother's house was shot at twice in a week. Mm-hmm. 
and his mother was wounded in one of those attacks. And those that shooting appears to be part of the back and forth between these two rival gangs. Um, what Geary's trying to say is that the thug was willing to publicly discuss that shooting in music mm-hmm. as as a means of advancing his street credibility as a real gangster as he's doing gangster rap. Do you know what I mean? I understand what you're saying. George, what is next? What are you hearing? Or could there be some other major developments in terms of, are there going to be more hearings? I mean, you and I both know cases like this, that you can have a hearing every other day. Um, What's next? So I think there are a lot of things. Um, All of the evidence that they're looking at has to be vetted, you know, know, to determine, especially the lyrics, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, We think that... They're talking about having a trial in January. Honestly, I'm not sure that's going to happen because the kind of arguments that uh, people like Brian Steele are going to have to make uh, around getting some of this stuff thrown out of court, I think that's going to be lengthy. Um, But in the meanwhile, other indictments are going to be coming down. Fanny Willis is is very Mm -hmm. funny. I don't know why I keep saying that. Fanny Willis is, uh, she's viewing gang prosecutions as fundamental to producing violence on the street. And so I'm expecting another major indictment to come down sometime soon, um, and probably several after that. And I can only assume that those gang indictments will have at least tangential connections to the music industry, because that's kind of how things work here. Um, There's also a case brewing in Tattnall County out of the prisons where a gang that uses the YSL initials, although they call themselves the Yves Saint Laurent gang, um, have accusations of murder for hire where they actually had a hitman go out and try to kill a prison guard because that guard was interfering with prison contraband. Um, It's not clear what that connection is yet, but I'm looking into it. This is... um... This is this is this is quite interesting, uh, George. We've, as we wrap up and let you go, are, are we also hearing that this could then mean a a bigger uh, focus from law enforcement? We know that there's been some legislation as re, as it relates to to gangs, and, and the, we have the, the task force here. Will we see a lot of different counties and different sectors of law enforcement working together in this as well? I would expect that, especially from uh, the. Uh, attorney general's office uh the attorney general has been empowered with recent legislation to look at gang cases across the state um and has new um has new investigators at the state level my assumption is that a lot of that's going to be about prison gangs Mm -hmm. um because the prisons have become incredibly dangerous uh the murder rate in prisons has increased sevenfold since the start of Mm -hmm. the pandemic and frankly, there just aren't enough prison guards to go around. So a lot of these prisons are being run more or less by the inmates. It's and, dangerous. And then sadly, we keep hearing, it seems like almost every month or every other week, There, I think this past weekend, there were two rappers, one here in the Atlanta area, one in D.C., who was a 16-year-old up-and-coming artist. I think he goes by 23 Racks or something like that. And then uh, rapper Trouble here, uh, gunned, Trouble. Down, gunned down, shot down in Georgia. What do you make of all this? And and again, we don't know if it's gang related. This sounds like it might have been domestic related, but you just don't know. But again, when these headlines hit the news and the people make that association that it's it's the music, it's the industry that is at the core of all of this. I think we're we're getting to a point where we need to have a very public, very real conversation about how violence is um, swirling around the music industry and what exactly is going on with that. Um, there's just too much of it. And um, leaders, real leaders, need to step up and start talking to people. George Chidi, an investigative journalist and the publisher of the Atlanta Objective on Substack. He's been covering all of this. You've been getting a little bit some international press, I see, George. <laughs> <laughs> Fear me, I'm coming. <laughs> Hey, George, take care. I appreciate you taking the time, all right? Thank you very much.
And Closer Look continues from WAB in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Jose Williams was a man of a lot of words, so there was no mistaking what he had to say and why. Because what I've been trying to preach to black people and they don't listen to me, it's all right to, to listen to these black politicians during a campaign period. But our roughest time with them should be once they get elected, until they serve that term, demand that they carry out those promises they made. And they, they just don't do it. That is Hosea Williams from a documentary in his own words. Now, he was more than just a civil rights leader and activist. He was an ordained minister, businessman. And Reverend Williams died in 2000 at the age of 74. His legacy is also rooted in a long-time operating organization. In 1971, Hosea Feed the Hungry and Homeless was founded and has been providing much-needed resources for Atlanta's poorest populations. And much like so many other groups and nonprofits and other organizations directly providing services, well, now called Hosea Helps, they've had to weather recessions, inflation, and for the last two years, the pandemic. But major changes are in the works for Hosea Helps. And join me now to talk about all this, the expansion, and also to share their journey. They've been on before, but I'm going to get real nosy this time. <laughs> Hosea Helps CEO Elizabeth Omalami and her husband, Ofema Omalami, who've been a part of this organization for so long. Welcome. Good to see you all. Thank so you. good to be with you, bro. <laughs> the original Rose Scott. <laughs> the original. <laughs> yes, the one and only. And we have yet to do a movie together, but that's a whole nother show. That's right. <laughs> but I think Ofamo and I, we can write something up for Bounce TV. I got. I, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. That's right. They need product. <laughs> Everybody needs product. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Before we get into the expansion of the services, I, I want to begin, though, with a few other issues that are really tied to the quality of life, not only for the communities you serve, but really all of us. And that is, again, we're talking about gun violence. That's all the conversations about gun violence and what do we do it in our youth. And you just heard the segment I had earlier with George Sheedy. Elizabeth, I'll begin with you. What do you make of all this right now in our nation? Again, gun violence. Yes. And rights and all that. I mean, America is in a civil war with itself. And I think that until we realize that this is almost like COVID, it's not going to go away until uh, it has to come from the grassroots up. It really can't come from up down. I guess it has to be both. But we are in a civil war. And I think that the, the generations, a lot of times you see these are not black kids that are going and shooting up everybody. I mean, we had one recently. Mm-hmm. But guns are so um, are so much a part of what makes a man feel like a man these days. It's not like a man felt like a man in other generations where he took care of his family, he was a provider, uh, that made him feel like a man. Now it, it, it's like you have to be a, a soldier on the street. There's no, there's no civilians. Alfamo, hmm. what do you think where we are right now? I think it's a call to action from our leadership, the president, all the way down to apologize for what has happened to black people in this country over 400 plus years because they can't expect that history not to repeat itself in the violence that's going forward when you have never settled that with the souls of the people who were brutalized. I want them to call themselves together and publicly apologize for all that has happened to us because that energy, it, it, it can't just be ignored. And what it's doing is playing itself back out again but they make no connections. They think they could do all of this stuff to us and that there would be no repercussions of it. You see, a, so then I want to make sure I'm understanding, you see a connection not only with just the gun, with gun violence, but even the violence within our communities and even some of our poorest communities. You see all this being connected to how this nation has been founded. Yes. And just things that haven't been settled. Absolutely. And it's their responsibility to own up to this and begin to help the healing that can go all the way down because all they taught our young people was to take it by force. We did it. Take it by corruption. We did it. So what would we expect them to act out but what they saw and learned? And now they don't even want to teach the real history to these kids to give them a chance to to uh, 
redeem the nation? It's interesting because I just got an email from a listener. It's kind of one of the questions I wanted to answer, ask, but I want to get into this. So when we talk about poverty in Atlanta in 2022, and I was speaking to someone in my neighborhood about this, and this is what the, the emailer is asking. Why are we still dealing with poverty in Atlanta? when? And, that, and this person is right, Rose. Every week you're talking about how great Atlanta. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not talking about it, but, you know, I get it. Yes. Where we are in Atlanta 2022, and we still have this this blanket of poverty and someone tweeted they were talking about when conventions come to downtown Atlanta and they want to be all hip and then they go and they see a lot of homeless people that's what someone just tweeted wow it's um you know just because you have a black mayor and you have all black city council the sad sad thing about it is that it is so systemic in uh, our culture that you have to have a working poor class. You have to have poor people. And it's not about race, it's classism. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that Atlanta had a problem with classism more than it did with racism. So that some of our blacks, uh, black leaders or our people, BIPOC people of color, feel that they are emboldened and entitled and they ignore the cries of the hungry children in their communities. They, if they're not running for office, we don't see them. You sound like your daddy because that's the clip I just played. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's you right. Sound, you sound just, just like that. your father. I mean, so go ahead. The mm-hmm. ironic part, too, one of the biggest homeless camps is about a mile and a half from here. Mm-hmm. Going to Buckhead. They decided to go up on the hill, and they all have come together to create this little city up there on the hill right at Lenox and and Buford Highway. Mm -hmm. So what more do we need than to have it right in our face to say, what are you going to do about this? The pandemic for many, for some, Mm -hmm. amplified or highlighted or illuminated all these disparities and inequalities which existed for centuries. But now we're in the space where people are saying, okay, now let's do something. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in California, what they're trying to do, or here in Georgia, what we're trying to do. Uh, Elizabeth, it, it takes a holistic approach. It can't just be nonprofits and, mm-hmm. and grassroots organizations. And, and, and I want to be fair because I, I do think it's important to say that there have been some administrations who are working directly with mm-hmm. those organizations who are on the ground, so to speak. Yes. But it's just not enough. It's not enough. And if I could have the millions of dollars that have been promised and pronounced from our uh, city government, even our state government. Uh, You know, last week uh, there was a, a food bank here that I'm sure does great work that got $30 million from the governor's office. And yet... You take that same $30 million and utilize it throughout the nonprofits instead of making these monoliths, these um, monopoly, good old boy relationships, then you can build communities from the ground up. A lot of these communities, these these are single mothers. These are, 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 are 40% of them are mothers uh, with, ho- with husbands mm-hmm. in the household. If they just need a little bit of a hand up. They just, and that money that came from Washington, they say, well, they got the, it, they got the this and they got the thousand dollars and they got the this and that. Well, these are people that were already behind. Mm-hmm. So we can't let that illusion of government assistance force us to think that people are just lazy and buying big screen TVs. I've heard folks say, well, the reason some of the challenges with the smaller nonprofits or the the smaller groups is that they may not have all their paperwork in order or you have to have all this documentation. Because, well, look, I work for a nonprofit and yeah. we have to provide documentation. Yeah, but that as, may be true. That may be true. But then there are mid-sized organizations like at Hosea Helps. We have 31 smaller nonprofits that we are training how to do mass food distribution, how to collect the data, how to turn the data back into us. We're teaching them how to use the spreadsheets and the government forms. It's easy to do. Who taught you all? Because you all had to learn, too. That's right. And we learned by uh, trial and error, shall I say, because 
because there are not classes out there that really are teaching nonprofits how to uh, uh, complete these federal forms mm -hmm. or these local forms. You learn. We learned through COVID since we stayed open during COVID. We distributed four million dollars in rent assistance and utility assistance during COVID, and um, another uh, uh, forty-five thousand people got food from Hosea Helps during COVID. And you two, throughout all of this, because your organization's had its ups and downs, and, and Elizabeth, mm. I remember covering you all when I was in the, the baby newsroom, and there were some holidays where you thought, we're not going to have enough to feed people, mm -hmm. but then folks, at the last minute, come through. They rally. On the, on the holidays, yes. and you think about, well, well, we did this all year round. Right. Let's look at let's look at March, April, May, and June at Hosea Helps. Oh, Famo, let me get you back into this conversation, because... Now, it appears that you all are going to get this $2 million. I know that the House passed it. Has the Senate passed it as, as well? As, as far as we know, and getting information has been a challenge. Yeah, it's yeah. been a challenge for me, too. No one <laughs> pick up the phone when I call. <laughs> well, uh, we would really like to be able to access those funds right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because summertime is lean times for most nonprofits. I just, and there was a, just a release that came out. The city of Atlanta is going to launch its annual summer food program. Yes. What do you want folks to know about the need for food when school is out? Yes, I think we all can agree this is the most challenging time for these students and their families because this is a food that they got free, that they could count on. And now school is out, everything's tight, which is why we're focusing on no summer hunger. The, the kids, we don't want them to use uh, any uh, excuse as to going out and doing something wrong because they don't have yeah. food, they don't have school material, they don't have their sneakers right, that they will want to go out and do something to somebody. This is what we want to avoid because desperate people are going to do desperate mm -hmm. things. They should never be uh, able to get to that point where they got to go out and feel like I got to take because it's not happening for me now. Yes. And also, we know Georgia, hot summers. Some we, folks don't run the AC just because the power bill is so yes. high. Or that, flush the toilet during the day because they think they're being charged every time they flush the toilet. We had a pilot program, Rose, where we had some additional food left over from our Easter distribution. And we said, let's just send out a text to the people that have been coming to us for rent assistance. And we'll give out this food. Well, the next day, we sent out the text on a Tuesday. The next day, we had 191 families, cars, 191 cars in line coming to get food. We were barely able to get through the day. It was shocking even to us. And now we have every Wednesday and Thursday that same program, thanks to public supermarkets, which has been great, Kroger. Um, but that's why Council, I mean, Congresswoman Nakima Williams stepped in to because she came and saw the great need, the lines going all the way back down to Cleveland Avenue. These are not poor people. They're Hummers in line. Mm -hmm. They're Cadillacs in We've line. We've talked about this. The face of, of poverty is not what changed. folks think it is. No. Yeah, absolutely. If and when you get the $2. million, but you have that earmark for something specific, correct? Yes. We need to expand our uh, facility so that because we are not a food pantry. It's, it's, it's very difficult to get the designation of a food bank so we can start getting services from Feeding America. We don't get anything from Feeding America. We don't get so because we're not a food bank. So what they want to do is create a monopoly so everybody has to go to the food bank. You pay a monthly fee and then you pay for the food. So where do you get your food from? Public supermarkets, Kroger. Uh, Wayfield and market. mostly from the farmers market with the fresh produce they give as much as we can hold but we've outgrown the facility that we opened last October mm -hmm. and so some of those funds will be used to open that facility another thing we're going to do is open as many food pantries throughout Nakima Williams's district as we can in community centers and churches and in uh, apartment complex and schools and I, schools we plan to hit the schools heavy in the fall because that's where you have to start with those students who are suffering even during a school year 
They need clothes. They need food. They need medicine. And yes. we do it in a way that it doesn't stigmatize anybody or bring attention unnecessarily because that's a big deal, and too. Le- and let me just quickly say now, Rose, the food is just the way into the family. Mm-hmm. The food is just the portal. Since we're all into portals and science fiction these days, when they come for food, they fill out a registration form. We find out who's unemployed, who's running from domestic violence, who needs at risk of homelessness, which children don't have school supplies and clothes for school. So the food is just the way to the the bait on the hook to get the families in the building so the case managers can thoroughly examine those families and we can meet as many of those needs because our goal is to stabilize the family. Part of stabilizing the family, as you both know, is to have a stable residence, which is housing and I know y'all have been on panels about housing affordability. Goodness knows I've moderated about a thousand. Yes. Often we hear the same approach, you know, mm-hmm. holistic. If I hear that word one more time, I'm screaming. That's yes. okay. Or collaborative. But what do you feel is missing in the conversation when we talk about what's an immediate solution? To yeah. Part of it, not a solution, but they need to enforce those laws on these developers to require them to make certain percentage of their buildings affordable. Now, when we say affordable, are we talking about $1,500 for one bedroom apartment? No, we are not. We are down in the five, six, $700 range. So they could come to you know to a developer it, hearing that right now is they going don't to say that. Hear it. Well, I, don't, I, I won't say that, but yeah. they will say that's not. Where are you going to find a a one-bedroom for $700 in metro Atlanta? Right. That's why there's no place for anybody to live, and people end up living outside of 285 where there's no defects, no Hosea helps. That's why our mobile unit is so critical. So we have to do it. We have to enforce. There's no more Section 8. It's a four-year waiting list, and people say, not in my neighborhood. I don't want Section 8 people, and we have to be more giving. We, as a, as a people, whether you're black, white, or whatever, we have to be more open to people with a lower income than ours coming into our community. Let's teach them if they don't know how to care for their yard. They don't know how to take out their trash. They do everything outside. They're loud. They're rowdy. We'll get to know them. So that's part of our responsibility. But we have to enforce even this film and television industry mm-hmm. that's growing by the billions. These people should be pouring into a housing fund. They're yeah. getting all kind yeah, of tax credits. My goodness. That's why they're coming here. Mm-hmm. Take some of that money, put it into a housing fund and build some houses. I could give, give me $3 million. I get a piece of land. <laughs> I build some houses in about six months there'd be some apartments there but we don't we don't we don't we're afraid to enforce the law you all have been doing this work for such, such a long time a famo when you when you saw her across a crowded room i can't remember the story when you met i think she might have looked at you first but uh-huh. y'all you're remembering too much rose scott <laughs> so you told me but you all have been doing this work for so long more than i mean it's been decades and decades yes keeps you going well, you know, look at my grandkids. I brought them today with me. And when I look at them, I'm, I'm, I'm so moved and touched because I see them. They could be in that position where they're ne- neglected. They don't have the food. Mom and dad are working hard, sick, still not coming together, staying in a car, staying in one of these rundown hotels they're paying a fortune for. My heart breaks because I gotta do it for them. That's my inspiration. This next generation, they deserve the best. They have no idea what they're up against from COVID to to the corruption, the gangs, uh, uh, unemployment, housing. All of this is on their table. So I have to do all I can do now while yes. I while it's still daylight. And we have a program called Mukai Sai which my uh, son uh, developed. Now he has young, he has a process that works because he has young men that left pre-COVID, 
that he lost track of that were raising themselves, that parents had left them in an apartment. They were going to high school by themselves. They got themselves through high school. He stayed in touch with them all those years, and now they're in their early 20s, and they're coming to our new headquarters at 2545 Forest Hills Drive, and they're working. They're working in the warehouse. They're learning how to use the Microsoft software. Mm -hmm. They're learning how to take pictures and do social media. And so there, if, if you're willing to give of yourself, which it takes a lot, you can change the lives of our young black men and they will stand on their own. But just by themselves, they can't make it. In the little time that we have left, because oh. this is all about Atlanta. Yes. And I've had this conversation, too. What concerns do you have about this city, the city that your father worked in and was down there getting folks together? Where do you see this city oh, in maybe five God. years? I see Atlanta as a super economic high uh, uh, location where you can't even live here. Uh, what I see happening to Atlanta breaks my heart because where is the space for the people Hosea Williams died for? Where is the space for the people Martin Luther King, the garbage men in Memphis that he died for? Where is the place for them? I, I see us ignoring uh, hungry children, which breaks my heart because I see hungry people every week. We think there is no issue with hunger in Atlanta, but there definitely is. So I think that uh, Hosea Helps needs volunteers. We need people to join us in this effort so that when we go down to City Hall, we're rolling deep and we can say, do something about this, this, or that. And so Mukai Sai is an example of a program that works for young black men. Famo, in your... All the grassroots ministries and organizations have to stay firm, dig in deeper, and let us all know we won't stop. We're going to do our part because that's the birthright of the civil rights movement. And join our We alliance. have no choice. We join have no choice. Right. We have an alliance for nonprofits. Come together every once a month. And let's go as a unified body and not as individual silos. All right. CEO Elizabeth Omalami and also Fame Omalami, thank you so much from Hosea Helps. As always, nice to talk to you, both of you. Next time we'll talk movies. Oh yes. Yeah, let's talk movies. And we got back a script for you. We got we're working on a script. Back to school coming July sixteenth at the uh, Georgia International Convention Center. Yes, our website is number four H O S E A dot O R G. We need your donations no uh, matter how small. Our kids. All right now. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Stay tuned to ninety point one W A B E Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.